Welcome to Zero to Start Spotlight, a podcast about VR development that brings you inspiring conversations with immersive creators and industry leaders, brought to you by Oculus from Facebook. I'm your host, Ceciliana Trevino, co-founder of ARVR Women and Allies, the online immersive art, tech, and design community dedicated to increasing representation in spatial computing. Connect, share, and grow with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and ARVRWomen.com. Stepping in the spotlight is Jasmine Roberts, an accomplished software engineer who has worked at pioneering companies including Unity, Sony PlayStation, and Google Creative Lab in New York City, where she developed and launched Lines of Play, a Google experiment app highlighting the features of their new AR Core Depth API. Jasmine was a 2017 Oculus Launchpad Fellow, and in 2020, Forbes recognized her on their game's 30 under 30 list. On this episode of Zero to Start, Jasmine shares her insights about developing with the latest AR APIs, what they mean for the industry, her recommendations for tools new developers should explore, and what she wished she knew about immersive tech when she first started out. All this and more coming up on Zero to Start. Welcome to Zero to Start, Jasmine. It's great to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here. You've been on the inside of some of the industry's most pioneering companies, including Unity. Tell us about your first aha moment with virtual reality. I would say that I was familiar with VR starting in 2009 with the cave systems, which are these virtual environment type systems that they have at academic institutions. But my first sort of aha moment was at the top of the Microsoft building in New York City. It was actually the same time that the United Nations was announcing their sustainable development goals. And they had oculi on top of the building and we each were immersed in a particular 360 video. And the video that I was immersed in was Waves of Grace by Chris Milk. And that still is my favorite experience to date. And I just thought that the cinematography and just the perspective that you could get in a film like that totally galvanized my sense of not just using technology for its own sake, but just fully understanding what Chris had said prior in his tech talk that this medium is actually an empathy machine. So if you haven't seen Waves of Grace, I would highly recommend it. It changed a lot for me. And that's a 360 video, correct? Yes, it's a 360 video. There's a lot of sort of disambiguation of whether or not 360 videos qualify as VR because they lack interactivity. But I would say if you get an emotional response and it elicits any sort of reaction in the user that for me, it's still the most powerful VR experiences I've been in. I find that debate around whether or not 360 is VR a constant thorn my first VR experience was the North Face demo, which was a 360 video, and it was on the DK2. How was it not VR if it's on a VR machine? I agree. I think that, again, I think some people's definition is reliant on some sort of physical interactivity with the system. I don't personally share that viewpoint, but I think that's where the sort of bifurcation between what is VR and what isn't comes. But obviously the technology used to power waves of grace or even the technology that Google has developed, like the jump camera, the different cameras that HTC, Samsung, and other companies have been a part of, I consider it a great and vital subset of the medium.
While you were at the Google Creative Lab and in the midst of the pandemic in New York City, you developed and launched Lines of Play. Tell us about it. So Lines of Play is an AR experiment that lets the user design really intricate domino art. So during quarantine, we were all looking at for sources of entertainment, and there were a lot of domino art pieces that were circulating on Reddit and other social media platforms. We converged on dominoes because we were interested in creating a demo that showed off some of the new features of the AR Core Depth API. And so the AR Core Depth API was announced back in December, and it was available for some early access partners, but it wasn't made public until the 25th of June. And so the Depth API is a new update to AR Core that lets us scan an environment for depth and geometry information. And the reason why this is such a technical feat is because this is all done just using computer vision and a single camera. So no LiDAR sensor or any sort of like augmented hardware is necessary for this. With this depth API information, similar to what you see in Apple's depth API information as well, you can do some really cool things like occlude AR objects behind real objects, and you could have AR objects collide with your environment surroundings. we thought about how people interact with AR. And then we realized that when most people think about it, they're thinking about face filters like from Spark AR or Pokemon Go. But we really wanted people to interact closely with the new mechanics so they could truly feel how AR has evolved. And we also wanted something compelling and something that felt satisfying. And so, you know, when you're you're knocking down dominoes, there's really nothing that's more satisfying than hearing the sound of hundreds of them toppling. That's how Lines of Play itself was born. Lines of Play is one recently launched apps that were in a concurrence with the Depth API. Another one I would check out is Five Nights at Freddy AR. And another Google app to look for is the Depth Lab, which were the examples that were shown in December. And so, yeah, if you're interested, you can check out the AR Core blog post. But at least with our app, we wanted to make sure that it was developer focused. So I would say the main difference between what we developed versus the other four apps is that this was specifically supposed to be developer focused and it was specifically supposed to be a full drawn app because the Depth Lab is also developer focused and you can find their open source code on GitHub as well. But we wanted a full fledged experience that you could also have code because I think a lot of issues with AR technology is that we have a lot of these baby sort of demos that are available for download and modification, but there's not a lot of full fledged apps, including UI integration, you know, just little subtleties that actually involve more design thinking than just development. Than just sort of graphic overlay. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's like you'll have a simple button or something, but we wanted to give and to afford users an entire app and its system for them to modify. Because I think that's what's been hard getting this stuff up off the ground is just there's like little things that are a bit difficult. And we kind of wanted to move from people making tech demos to making apps that they could publish on the Play Store. You can check it out at the Creative Labs GitHub, which is github.com slash creative lab slash lines of play. Lines of play is hyphenated. And yeah, it's been getting a really good feedback and I'm glad that people really enjoy it. And I'm glad that it gives our community the keys to getting started with this new technology. What is the Google Depth API and why is everyone in the industry so excited about it? 
I think people are excited about it because they could use it on devices that they already own. With the new iPad Pro, which was released earlier this year, it has an additional LiDAR sensor on it that allows for capturing the same depth information. But with the Google Depth API, it uses a depth from motion algorithm that allows it to be implemented on all phones that support AR Core. So if the phone supports AR core, you can use the depth API. So really it's a feat in computer vision and AI. And we know that Google research is one of the, the leaders in AI. The reason why it's more appealing and why people have been waiting for it is because it doesn't really require additional hardware. Also, people have been waiting for the features like occlusion, collision, relighting, shadow mapping for quite some time, I would say at least for the past three to four years. And so this is just a feature that we knew was necessary for AR to seem more immersive because before the augmented objects would, to be frank, sort of be imposing in the space because they had no spatial reference and they didn't know how to blend into the environment. And so that was a problematic issue. And that also led to AR experiences not being able to be customizable to your space. But now with the Depth API, everything could be contextually aware of my environment. We don't have that same problem anymore. We're not restricted to only viewing these experiences and how they were intended in individual spaces. So it makes it more widespread in a sense. My AR app prototype icebreakers use SLAM, simultaneous localization and mapping. What's the difference? How are SLAM and DepthKit related? Yeah, so the Depth API is a natural extension of AR core services that also relies on SLAM. And so SLAM is responsible for getting the position and the location of the phone, whereas Depth is an extension that's able to deduce a foreground and a background, which allows for things like occlusion. And so just like the human eye infers depth from motion, the depth API works the same way by comparing adjacent frames and it converts this world space into pixel space. So it relies on SLAM to get the two locations to do a sort of parallax method, which if you have familiarity with how the human eye works, very similar process. So the new depth API is really a layer on top of SLAM and SLAM, it's related to robotics in the sense that that's what's driving the vision and location for the robots for a Roomba. Yeah, both ARCore and ARKit use SLAM. And so it's weird because I know when people hear SLAM, it sounds like a product or one algorithm, but it's probably better framed as a problem and an approach to solving, you know, simultaneous localization and mapping. It's not a platform. And yeah, like you said, it's also not specific to augmented reality because from its inception, it's been used for motion planning in things like the Roomba. But the difference in a Roomba is a Roomba doesn't have or need a camera assess its environment with ultrasonic sensing. But the difference, of course, is in AR, we need a camera. And the phones come with inertial sensors and tracking built into the device. And so SLAM exists alongside these sort of measuring techniques or odometry and light estimation to get the complete augmented reality system. It's really interwoven. What we're really trying to do is just imbue devices with the perceptive capabilities that we have. Wow. 
Okay. <laughs> Thanks for taking us down that rabbit hole. It's confusing sometimes what the difference is between a library, an API, a plugin, an SDK. Yeah, I think that just comes with playing around with the technology and, and just understanding the difference. Yeah, I think what ends up happening is it's hard to sort of use technical terms as marketing terms. The way to look at Slam is sort of thinking about, you know, how there are different ways to render. Like you can ray trace, ray cast. So it's it's really a problem more so than an, an a set of algorithms. It's not something that's solved. And with each iteration of the technology, simultaneous localization and mapping itself gets better. How did you make lines of play? Was that with Unity? The primary technology that we use was Unity. And we used Unity 2018.4 because at the time that was the LTS version. It does need to be updated to 2019 very soon. Also, even incorporate AR Foundation for it to be scalable. We want to make sure that it's scalable. But yeah, all of it was developed in the Unity editor. So beyond learning how to build experiences with leading game engines like Unity or Unreal, what other tools should beginner developers explore? Yes, actually, this is a very good question. I was just getting into it with someone talking about how to prototype for AR VR. And this is just my opinion. So take it with a grain of salt or take it with a heap of salt, which whichever you prefer. I think that 2D tools, tools like Sketch or Framer or Figma, I don't think they're the right tools to prototype for VR or AR. I think it was in 2016, Josh Carpenter, when he was at Mozilla, did make, you know, a lot of web VR mocks and prototypes and actually thoroughly explained how if you were to paper prototype for VR, what that would look like. I would actually go back in time and like look up Josh Carpenter, Mozilla. He did some very useful UI, UX studies. But I would say that the main deterrent that I've noticed with designers in the field is that if you know that your engineers are going to be using Unity, and so even if you're not going to be doing your work in a game engine, I do think it's still important to learn the tool. So to learn Unity, to learn Unreal, I mean, you could use CryEngine if you want to, but it's good to at least know the basics of it so that you could just apply basic things like materials and sprite sheets and at least set up a basic UI because that in, in and of itself is a lot of work. But I think in terms of if you already know that you don't want to go into development or spend most of your time in the game engine, I still think it's extremely relevant to learn 3D tools. And so 3D tools is exactly what you think it is. So it's things like Blender, Maya, Houdini has become extremely popular and Houdini is more of a procedural software. And I would also use video softwares like Premiere and After Effects too, because I think that every time we've seen something that's a mock-up that gets a lot of traction in our community, it's usually always mocked up in either Premiere or After Effects. Blender is open source, so that's free. Yeah, Blender is free. And also for mocks purposes, Cinema 4D Lite is free. So well, if you have an Adobe license, you can open Cinema 4D Lite through After Effects. I mean, you wouldn't be able to export your models, but at least to convey the visual language to your team, that's still a useful thing as well. Because Cinema 4D is, I would say it's more user-friendly than Blender, but both have the same capabilities. And even understanding the available tools that Spark AR have to offer, but really digging into that because those sorts of expectations built are the expectations that teenagers will have when this actually hits market. So we can't deliver something that's less than that.
what is compelling to you about the mobile AR experience that is different from virtual reality? The first and foremost thing that sets mobile AR apart is accessibility. So VR had its round of accessibility with Google Cardboard and its equivalents, but the difference is it doesn't seem like you're opting out of a better experience, if that makes sense. Because in order to have the full-fledged VR experience, you do need to purchase a Quest or any of the number of available headsets. Whereas with AR, most people that we both know have phones that could run both AR Core and AR Kit. And so it doesn't really seem like a barrier of entry because even a phone that was able to have AR experiences downloaded three years ago, still to this day can also have those same experiences downloaded. So I think it just removes the barrier that VR just never had. And also we all carry our mobile devices around. The thing is even people who aren't necessarily intrigued by AR, you know, they're familiar with Spark AR, with Snapchat filters. And so even if they just download one app, even if they just see an app go viral, like for instance, Aiden Wolf's Doodle Lens, they could just pick it up. It doesn't really interfere with anything. Whereas I would say that purchasing a VR headset and understanding the Oculus Store, that involves a commitment. And so not only is it more accessible, it's non-committal as well. And I think that that's easier for everyone to get in touch with. Because I think everyone does understand mobile AR more than they understand VR at this point in time. And it's exciting too, because it doesn't have to be called augmented reality for them to know what it is. They're just using it. Exactly. I think that we're at a point and I and someone had mentioned this before that in the future we're not going to have apps that are called abc.vrxyz.vrar. You're just going to have the apps as they exist alone because fundamentally AR VR is just an underlying technology. And the thing is, if you could make something just as compelling and not use AR or VR, I would actually recommend to do that. But if there is a specific use case of why you would want to use it, that I think is really what the community sort of needs to focus on to get to what is like proverbially known as the killer app. And so I do think that we are tending towards that now. But I think it does start with art and it starts with really fun experiences like the face filters. It feels like the killer app that everyone's waiting for is going to be developed by someone who's, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years old right now. Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, that's who people should be afraid of is them. (laughs) Gen Z, because Gen Z is a generation of content creators. This platform was made for them. So it's great for us to think about creating the platform. But in terms of who's going to have a stronghold in the, the creation, it's definitely going to be Gen Z. I have no doubt about that. It all comes from the same thing as everybody is trying so hard to find a use case. But the thing is, I feel like we already know what the use cases are or what they potentially could be. And we're just waiting for these apps to be something that's so productive that you basically could not imagine workday or just a day at home without using these sorts of technologies. If you're new to the space and you're transitioning into VR from another industry, there's a big learning curve. And I think people's expectations need to be managed around what's possible given a certain time frame. What are your feelings around the difficulty of breaking into the industry? I think that the tech industry in general is very difficult to break into, but I would actually sort of follow that up with a question. What do you mean when you say break in. Wanting to work at Facebook, Apple, and Google versus wanting to start your own 
venture versus wanting to work in a very famous pre-existing venture. There's very different pathways to take. One of the coolest studios that I know that does VR is Meow Wolf. And they're in New Mexico. And you also have, I think you mentioned this, Cece, in Austin, you have Alchemy Labs, which got acquired by Google. Is there anything that you wish you knew when you first started in AR and VR development? What would you tell your beginner self? Yeah, I think I would tell my beginner self there are many facets of AR, VR to navigate. And I mentioned this ad nauseum, but I do think there are different sort of factions and communities, if you will, within AR, VR. And I think learning how to navigate all of them ensures success in the community. It's learning to appreciate, acknowledge, and respect all facets of the community, which include people that have been doing this for 50 plus years. What I wish I would have known is that when you get first get started, no one tells you how hard the onboarding process is to get started like no one lets you know you know people I think when it's presented want to look at it and be like oh it's so easy and now that there's accessible tools like spark AR you have a lot of people who are 13 who could make more intricate things than I can make in unity so people just look at it and think that it's easy and when I was first starting out I would have loved to know how experimental everything is because I think that's ultimately what deters people I'll build something and it's six months later, it won't run anymore. Overnight, things can disappear. Exactly. And I would actually call that unplanned obsolescence. I think this field is so different because we're simultaneously trying to research to figure out what works, but then we're also trying to push for a complete product. And mass consumer adoption. Exactly. That hasn't really happened with any technology, at least recently. There's competing interests, right? Because it still feels like it's in this research and development mode. But there are financial forces at work that compel people to get a return on their investment. Yeah. And those aren't aligned, right? They're, they're on different time schedules. Oh, yeah. They're always on different timelines. Yeah. An engineer's timeline is different from an academic researcher's timeline, which is certainly different from the marketing timeline, which if they had it their way, we would have something out within 24 hours. <laughs> or by the end of the day. Yeah. EOD. <laughs> With all this going on, what helps keep you focused and in the zone? What's on your playlist while you work? At least when I'm developing, I found that it's better for me not to listen to music because then I'll start singing along and dancing. On my playlist is a lot of old school R&B like my parents listen to. I think if I look at my playlist right now, it's a lot of Earth, Wind, and Fire. But who doesn't like Earth, Wind, and Fire? Come on. Are you playing it on an audio cassette, 8-track, or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... I'm not, look, I, I wasn't born that early. I have a playlist that's called Girls in Tech. It's like girl boss music like Doja Cat and Rihanna. There's a playlist that I made called Lady Killmonger, which is just my handle. Cool. So I've got the link to Lady Killmonger playlist and we'll have that in the show notes. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about getting into VR development or producing trends or news that you're excited about right now? It is hard, but I do think that we're in the turning point. And so within the next five years, this field will be shaped. I think we've been playing the long game. We've been sort of like in our nice sandbox 
but I think this is about to turn real. And I just hope that everyone's ready for it. And again, if you want to download the Unity Editor, download Unreal from the the Epic's game application, just try to learn this stuff. And, and you don't have to be good at everything because there's too many different roles. For instance, to make a AAA game, you need people from all different backgrounds. So if you know that you would be best at spatial audio and sound design, then go for that. If you really like doing animation, character modeling, then go for that. If you really just like looking at granular interactions, go for that. If you just like developing database and retrieval systems in VR, then do that. There's there's a role for everyone. And I do think that the industry is still trying to figure out how everyone can be involved, but I do think it's going to look very different from making a, an app like, say, Uber or Lyft. It's, it's a very different process that does more mimic filming games than it does traditional tech. And I do feel like there's growing pains that I would say really anybody that wants to enter this field is going to have to go through to make this a success. Thanks, Jasmine, for the trip through augmented reality tech, new APIs, and for sharing how Lines of Play came to be. Congratulations on its release. And thanks again for being our spotlight guest. Yeah, thanks for having me, Cece. Be sure to follow Jasmine on Twitter at Lady Killmonger, and you can follow me at iCeciliana. Links to our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today on the Zero to Start Spotlight, brought to you by Oculus from Facebook. You can support Zero to Start by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Give us a rating and share this episode with people who want to learn more about breaking into VR. Until next time, happy installing. <laughs>